this morning, we're going to see how even in Haggai, even in this Old Testament prophet, God was already proclaiming uh, this good news. Um, If you remember a little bit from our last two sermons, and some of you guys have just jumped in, the series. Um, but Haggai is an Old Testament prophet during a special time in the life of God's people. And when I say special, I mean hard. I mean difficult. There was a time when there was opposition as they had returned from a time of exile, a time of discipline, a time of punishment, a time when God had reset in many ways their hearts. They began the work of rebuilding the temple, and immediately there was government and societal opposition. And for Almost a decade, the the, the temple work had been shut down. But through the preaching of Haggai, through the promises of God's word, and as we kept learning, even through some actions of some very creative lawyers, God ended up reestablishing the work of the rebuilding of the temple and the worship of God, and more importantly, the priority of God in their lives. In fact, in the first sermon, that's what we heard. Haggai was preaching at a time when he said, look, I know there's other things to do. I know you've just come back from exile. You've got to get your own house, your own businesses, your economy, education. Everything's got to get back in order. But you need to prioritize the work of God in your lives. That was a message to us, right? There are so many things that call for my attention this week. I need to make time for the Lord. But then his second sermon, uh, after they did put together things, reprioritize the work of God. A few months later, there wasn't any fruit. It didn't look as good as the previous temple. They were discouraged. And God came back to his promise, no, no, no. His work in our lives today is important. It's valuable in this moment. God is at work today. And the glory of the new temple he promised would ultimately be greater than the previous temple. And we know that ultimately Jesus came, and Jesus filled that new temple when he came, and he walked uh, among the people there. Well, today we're looking at a third sermon that Haggai gave. And i got to be honest, it's the weirdest. It's the most odd. It's the most difficult to understand. And so I'm going to pray for us again that God would give us insight and understanding into this sermon. Let's pray together. Father, we want to hear you speak. You've promised a relationship. You've promised to be in our lives. You've promised never to leave us or forsake us. You've promised to speak. God, would you speak to your people today through your word? We pray this all knowing that you hear us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, let's read from Haggai chapter 2. It says this, On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest, what does the law say? If someone carries some consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or some stew, some wine, olive oil, or some other food, does it become consecrated? And the priest answered, well, well, no, no, it doesn't. Then Haggai said, if a defiled person who became defiled because they had come in contact with, with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? The priest would go, well, yes, yes, I, I, they replied, it does become defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people. 
and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do, whatever they offer there is defiled. Now, give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. Whenever anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. And when anyone uh, went to a vat of wine to draw 50 measures, there was only 20. I, God, struck all the work of your hands with blight and with mildew and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. But from this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed in the barn? Until now, the vine and fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive oil have not borne fruit. But from this day on, I will bless you. Are you moved? Were you just stirred in your heart with that one? Did you leave kind of going, okay, all right, so don't touch any stew with the dead bodies. All right, I mean, that's kind of what I got out of it. Um, I, I, I already kind of had cut that one covered. I, this passage just is sort of odd. It's sort of this sermon that, that in the middle of this rebuilding, in this middle of discouraged people, as they're trying to put things together, it just seems a little peculiar. Well, I think at first we're struck with maybe the oddness of the sermon because did you notice how the sermon began with, with an address to the priest? He's actually asking the priest a question. He's actually talking to them as if God needed to know. Doesn't God already know the answer? I guess I do that in my class a lot, you know. Okay, so what is, I already know the answer. <laughs> when I'm asking questions to the students, it's sort of rhetorical, but I'm asking to see if they know the answer but God knows the answer. What's going on here? Let's take a look at it again. Um, on the 24th day of the ninth month, in the year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came, ask the priests. Ask the priests. Now, why in the world was he asking the priests? Well, I actually think there's something that we actually can take from this. We see in the Old Testament that there were a variety of roles that seemed to have different functions among the people of God. Uh, certainly one of the most important roles was the role of the king. From King David on, the kings were supposed to be those ones that administrated for God's people and led them towards the Lord. And over and over again, kings are admonished as either being a good king that served God wholeheartedly, or they were a bad king that led people away or led them astray. The kings were critical to the people's walk with God. But second, there were these prophets. These prophets were the ones that confronted the people with their sin, who brought out very specific words from God for a specific season. The prophets were the ones that, like Haggai, came at just the right time to say just the right thing to encourage them with the word of God. But on the everyday basis, there were the priests. The priests were the ones who were supposed to be continually teaching the people, continually helping the people understand God's laws, his custom, what, what he expected from them in their daily lives, how the worship of God was to be performed. The priests had a role amongst the people of God. 
And here we see something that for us is pretty peculiar because we don't think about this maybe in a similar kind of way. Um, Though I'll be honest, I do get a lot of the questions as a pastor. You know, it's like, well, pastor, you got to know. Vicki said, I don't need the commentaries. I have you. That's why I paid for you to go to seminary. (laughs) Answer my Bible questions. Um, I'm like her little mini uh, commentary right there. I, 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 I don't know. But anyway, you would ask the priest questions. And this is actually a very common thing that Second Temple Judaism, which is this time period, this time period, they were obsessed with these issues of the law. What was holy? What was not holy? What was clean? What was unclean? What foods can we do? How do we do the the temple worship right? Because you've got to remember, it had been 70 years. The temple had been destroyed. Many of the people had been living in exile. They were not surrounded by the Jewish customs and cultures. Things had kind of like... Um, um, decreased in their hearts and minds. The practices had become diluted, and they wanted to do it right. They had been sent into exile. God had judged the people for worshiping idols, for worshiping other gods, and in their minds, for not doing the worship of God correctly. So they constantly were having these, these writings and these asking for the priests to give a, 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 a judgment. Um, how, okay, we know what's in the Bible, but what's supposed to be clear here? So they came to the priests. Here's our point. We're actually called to be priests of God. We're actually called to be people who know God's word. We are the ones who are supposed to know his commandments to help a world know what does God expect. We're supposed to be those that sort of know scripture enough that people can actually come to us and say, hey, so what about this? We actually should be those who are teaching our children, our grandchildren, our husbands, our wives, our parents. We're to be those who know God's commands. Listen to what it says in Malachi. We're going to just look at this one next week. Uh, but in Malachi, God kind of challenges the priests who were being unfaithful. And he says, for the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge. Because he's the messenger from the Lord Almighty. And people seek instruction from his mouth. For us... That calling of priests is extended to every believer, every follower of Jesus Christ. We are called to be a nation of priests, a people of priests. It's not just the religious ones. It's just not the seminary trained. We are all supposed to be those who know the scripture. Look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2. For you are, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. A nation, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you might declare the praises of him who brought you out of darkness into his wonderful light. If we don't know the scriptures, if we don't know God's word, if we're not daily studying and putting in, how are we supposed to fulfill this sacred obligation? Would you want a lawyer who didn't really know and look at his law books? Would you want the doctor that kind of like, cheated his way through med school? Do you want the? Absolutely not. We want priests, and we want to be this nation of priests who know God's Word. This week, I was discouraged a little bit. I'm getting to teach Old Testament class. I haven't gotten to teach that in a long time. I'm teaching over at Stevenson University, and I have all these eager students. They were like, this is going to be a great class. It sounds fun. And I made it all sound interesting. You know, the first day, you got to kind of use all your charisma, try to get students excited, like, come on. Second day of class, their assignment was, over the weekend, they're supposed to read the Joseph story, Genesis chapter 27 to 50. 
Bible chapters are shorter than their textbook chapters. But I saw all the faces just go, is there a movie? <laughs> I'm like, it's going to take you 25 minutes, 30 minutes to read this. Is there a movie? It's going to take you longer to watch the movie. I, I, there was just this discouragement. And I was like, people, we got to know. Now, they are not necessarily followers of Jesus. They're not necessarily the kingdom of priests. I, I, I get it that maybe some of them aren't that interested. But I tell you what really warms my soul is when there are those of you, when the younger Christians, when older Christians are excited about knowing God's word. They just want to know. I'm, I'm going to embarrass him for a second. Um, we've been, I've been very thankful for Song and Anne leading music today. Song probably doesn't even remember this. The first day I met uh, Song, I was actually driving to Delaware to lead a, a worship service for some college students, and one of our friends had brought some other friends, and Song came along, and he was in the back, and the guy grilled me for the entire, like, two-hour drive out and two-hour drive back. I'm like, well, what about church planning? What about, well, how does, what do you think makes a biblical church? Well, what about this? And how, I mean, he was just, I mean, boom, 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 boom. He was just hungry to know more about God. God's word and the ministry, right? I mean, what an exciting time. It was fun, right? It was good. It was old. It was a long time ago. It's been a while. All right. So, uh, but I just, that warms my soul when people want to know God's word. But the truth of the matter is we all cool off a bit, don't we? Oh yeah, I got to do my daily Bible reading or something here. What, now, what, what, can, I, can I use that Bible app? Because it's just a verse of the day. Is that good enough? I mean, that's like... <clears throat> taking, well, okay, I'm going to brush one tooth or something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean this hair. I mean, let, why are we like, I want to dive in deep. I want to dive in deep. Hebrews chapter 5 says this, and hear this challenge. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you still need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God all over again. You need milk, not solid food. That's an indictment to some of us, right? So I, I, I get it. Not everyone's supposed to be a teacher, and not everyone has that spiritual gift of teaching. I get it. The teachers are judged more harshly. And hey, it, it, the ones who desire to be an overseer, pastor, teacher, they desire a noble thing. I, it's a good thing, but hey, d d don't take that lightly. It's a serious calling. It's a serious job. I get all of that. But hear the words of, of the writer of Hebrews. He's saying, look, you should want this, and you actually should be studying enough that you are already ready to be a teacher by now. But Hebrews addressing some of these believers, some of these followers of Jesus, saying, you're not even ready yet. You haven't matured. So number one, I, I think Haggai's showing that as God takes Haggai the prophet, he goes to the priest and says, hey, priest, what are we supposed to do here? It reveals that that priestly role is important and has an important role for us as a church. We have to, as God revitalizes this place, we have to be teachers of God's Word. To be that, we have to know His Word. Well, <clears throat> you, you, that probably wasn't the oddest part for you of that sermon, right? The, the part that was much stranger for you, I'm sure, came in the second part, right? The content of the question. The, the, the part that seemed pretty esoteric, maybe even irrelevant to our lives. And yet, maybe it does have something to teach us. Let's look at it again. Verse 12. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, 
got to be honest, I'm using Tupperware, I'm using uh, something, I mean, I, I, but okay, okay, just in case you were tempted to put some meat there in the old coat pocket, um, and that fold touches some stew or bread, I'm also wondering again why you, okay, um, some wine or all of it, once again, I'm using, use a glass, I mean, I, it, this, some of this doesn't make sense, olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? And the priest answered, no, that, 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 that doesn't. Yeah, okay. And then second, if a person is defiled because they came in contact with a dead body and touches some of these things, does it become defiled? And the answer was yes. Yes, it does. What is this about? What is this trying to teach us? What, what, what was this an issue of the day? Well, Haggai's making a spiritual point. He's making a spiritual point about the holiness of God. And we as believers, as these priests of God, this holy nation, need to come to a place where we are understanding God's holiness. We are challenged to know and recognize that he is holy, he is other, and he has called us to be a holy set-apart nation. Okay, so what exactly is this passage about? It's not just, just, it is general holiness, but let's, this is the real question here. Is holiness transferable. What? Is it transferable? You see, there are parts in the Old Testament that seem to indicate that the holiness of God could actually transfer from God to specific objects, or even from those objects um, where God's holiness function is happening um, to the person or objects that it touches. We see this in Exodus chapter 3, right? That's where Moses first kind of encounters God, and God is very quick to say, uh, Moses, take off your shoes. The place where you're standing is holy. Why is it holy? Because the presence and power of God is right there. We see this all the way through the Exodus where it's like uh, the people can't come up on the mountain because God has made that mountain holy. His presence right there has touched a particular location and it is now sacred or set apart. That's why we call it a sanctuary, right? That this is supposed to be holy uh, to God. In the New Testament, it talks about God's presence in our lives, that we are the temple of God. We talked about that last week, that we are made holy. Well, we see this also in an ordination services, uh, both where Aaron uh, and his sons were ordained as priests. In Exodus chapter 29, um, they took blood and they put uh, the blood of the sacrifice and put them on their earlobes and on their big, on their thumb and their big toe. Um, They were sprinkled and their garments were sprinkled with blood, which I think makes it dirty, but hey, you know, hey, but the blood that was of this sacred offering then made the garments and the priests dedicated. It, it, It was like, this is a symbol. They are consecrated to God. They have a holy task, a holy function, and they need to see themselves as set apart for God. Later in Exodus 29, it talks about the altar where they were offering the sacrifices of God, and it says anything that even touched the altar was holy. You didn't, it's not like, oh, well, now I'll use it to make my hamburger. No, 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 this has been for God. It's been, this meat, the stuff that is given to him is now holy. It is now sacred. Finally, probably the one that is most important later in Leviticus chapter 6, um, they talk about any of the grain or the sin offerings, which were often the, in the sin offerings, it was meat. Um, and some of that meat was then eaten by the priest, but it had to be eaten in a, in, a, in a consecrated place. So you would take and you would offer your sacrifice, you would offer it for the sins of the people or for the people's individual sins. As they're offering this sacrifice, they once would present it to God. And they would burn up the fat and some of the internal organs, and it all goes to God, and you can't touch that part. 
But then some of the part was then dedicated to the priests, and the priests would eat that. It would be like part of their, what they would use as their regular like lunch and dinner kind of thing, would be some of the portion of the, of the sacrifice. And here's where you see the carrying of the meat, right? The consecrated meat, they would carry it somewhere and have to eat it in a sacred place. So I guess that's where you're sticking the meat in the fold of your garment kind of thing. Whatever touches, verse 27, chapter 6 of Leviticus, whatever touches any of the flesh will become holy. And if any of the blood is splattered on the garment, you must wash it in the sanctuary area. There's where the text, there's where God's word um, was sort of this at issue, and Haggai is bringing up this question from God, and they would think, oh yeah, this is what he's talking about, this meat being consecrated. If someone carries the consecrated meat, this meat from the offering in the fold of their donkey, um, and then later you're using that same jacket to carry some other food, is that then transferable? That becomes the question. Is it transferable? Well, hmm. We got to understand that God's holiness is not infinitely transferable. Sure, um, the, the garment is holy when it touches the meat, and okay, but later on, that same garment doesn't then make something else holy. It's not infinitely transferable. Okay, have you seen these Gronkowski commercials, right, for USAA? As we're getting ready for the Super Bowl, he's going to kick some field goal or something and try to do it. And I, I don't know. Some, we're all going to win a prize or something. I, I don't know. But it's this big you know, publicity stuff by USA. But their commercials have constantly featured this football player, uh, Gronkowski. Is his, I forgot his Bronk. Is it Bronk? Gronkowski? No, they just call him Gronk, right? Uh, uh, Bronkowski, right? Gronkowski is his name. And he is publicizing USAA. And what's strange about USAA as a company is that you can't just go sign up. They've got, I mean, you may want to, but the whole, the whole like, I guess, shtick of the thing is um, uh, he can't actually apply because he did not serve in the military, nor did his family members serve in the military, so he is not eligible. And so this idea is if you are a military person or a child of a military person, you ought to get USAA because you're, you're, you're one of the privileged few. That that, that, that that privilege is not infinitely extended. It's not, well, I had an uncle that he was a Marine. Sorry, not, not, not close enough. But I have some friends. Not, not okay. But some of them are officers. It, it doesn't count. That, 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 this, that this sacred moment of carrying the meat, okay, things were sacred right then, but that doesn't like mean that now this is like a sacred jacket that can never be washed and makes everything else it touches holy. Why is that important for us? Why is that necessary for us to understand? See, here, here's a mistake we make as Christians. Sometimes we think that there's this extended holiness. Sometimes we think that, that well, my parents' faith is good enough for me. My parents are believers. You know, my, my grandmother, she, you know, she always prays, and somehow then, then that means I'm okay with God, right? I, I, I'm somehow a Christian because, because, well, I had some family members that are there. Or I had this spiritual experience one time way back in high school or when I was, and, and somehow those spiritual experiences then make all the rest of my life okay. Um, that, that, that somehow it is transferable over and over and over and over again. And, and ultimately... I think what God is showing here in this is like, no, no, actually, it's not infinitely transferable. God is infinite, and his holiness is infinite. Don't make any mistake. But just because my parents know the Lord 
doesn't mean that I can just ride on their faith. I have to know the Lord myself. Now, some of you guys who really do know Scripture, you're going to be like, but what about 1 Corinthians chapter 7? Anybody thinking that? Okay, nobody's thinking that. Okay, maybe I was thinking that. Um, <clears throat> look at what it says. This is a, God, uh, Paul's giving some instructions about marriage and whether or not someone who is a believer, if, they, if, they, if someone who, from a family where um, the husband now has become a Christian, but the wife still is not, or the wife becomes a Christian and the husband is not, what should they do? Remember, Christianity is spreading fast. Lots of new people are becoming Christians, but that doesn't mean that it was a household all together every time. Sometimes it was just the wife or just the husband. And here, Paul says, well, for an unbelieving husband has been sanctified or been made holy through his wife, and the unbelieving wife uh, has been sanctified through her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. What is that talking about? Well, I'll tell you, it makes me scratch my head a little bit. Um, I did some study, doing some reading, and this is what most of our Bible scholars and people, and this is where I kind of come down to. Here's what I think this means. We are in workplaces, families, and when we are believers in those places, it doesn't mean everything about that workplace or everything about that family is holy, but we do have a holy impact. We do have a place that we are representing God, that we are bringing up truths, that we are living as Jesus called us the light of the world. So in these families where one spouse is a believer and another spouse is not, well, guess what? The light of the world is coming through into the life of that spouse. Now, that doesn't make them a believer. That doesn't make them saved. That doesn't make them going to have eternity with God. But it does mean that they are having at least a constant spiritual witness in the lives of those children, in the lives of that unbelieving spouse, that God is at work in those situations. So while it is not infinitely transferable, we need to realize that the holiness of God in our lives should be making an impact. Number two, we do need to realize about the holiness of God, that, God, that our impurity is definitely infectious. It definitely is infectious. There was a lot of things. The priests were not allowed to touch dead things. <laughs> you, you, when you were going to, if you touched something that was dead on the side of the road, you were like unclean for seven days and you can't go to the temple worship. There was some stuff that I think God was doing to protect us from like bacterias and those kinds of things probably in this Old Testament time when they maybe didn't have as sophisticated understanding of germs as we do today. But there was also an idea of, of spiritual impurity that is infectious. That's why uh, it says that if a person is def defiled by something that is dead, does it become defiled? Yes, of course it becomes to dead, uh, defiled. And verse 14, so it is with the people in God's sight. So it is with this nation in my sight. Whatever they do, whatever they offer is defiled. There's a fundamental truth of the good news of Jesus. There's a fundamental truth that we can't get past. There's a fundamental truth that if we don't start in this place, we will never see our need for the incredible mercy of God. We are defiled. We don't want to be. We didn't intend to be. We don't think of ourselves that way. 
But the truth of the matter is, Paul says in Romans chapter 3 that there is no one righteous, that, that no one will be declared righteous in God's sight, even when we try to do the works of the law, rather through the law, God's law, all we are is becoming conscious of our own sin. There is a limitation to how good we are. Now, I know that some of us, our parents think that we're, oh, I have this perfect child. But those of us that have really done any parenting know that our child isn't perfect, right? I mean, you know it, even though you want to have that perfect child. We know in our souls that we don't even measure up to our own standards of goodness. How can we measure up to the holiness of God? If we begin with thinking that we're the best, we're perfect, everything should be right for us, we're stuck because we don't realize that already, before we even begin, the sins, the things we've done wrong, the, the wickedness, the selfishness, all of those things have already made us defiled. Paul ends up in Romans 7 when he sees his own sin, when he sees even though he was trying to be good, he was trying to be a religious man, he was trying so hard, and even as a Christian, trying to live out the grace of Jesus Christ, live out the new life that he had in Christ, he had to say this in Romans chapter 7, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Anybody live out and there were moments this week that you were just like, well, I didn't really live like a Christian. <laughs> I didn't really live out that, that character of Christ in me. I, I, I certainly didn't model this for my wife this week. I certainly didn't model this with that coworker this week. I certainly didn't. What a wretched man I am. And that pulls, pushes us to the third challenge. Even in Haggai right here, Haggai was pushing us to understand the grace of God. We have got to fully trust in that grace. In Romans chapter 8, Paul makes that conclusion. When he says he's a wretched man, he's already gotten to understand that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life uh, has set us free from the law of sin and death. What is he saying? Well, the wages of my sin, the wages of my purity is death. But Jesus paid that penalty already. When he died on the cross, it was once and for all. The incarnate Son of God took on the sins of the world that now I am free. My debt has been paid. It has been paid off. It is done. The note is clear. It, anybody still got a mortgage? I still got a mortgage. There's a day when it's going to come when they're going to, I, I, I mean, I am hopeful that I'm going to get a little piece of paper that says, done, paid for. Now, I don't care who pays for it. If any of you want to volunteer for that role, I am happy to let you today finish paying off that baby. It, I mean, it'll be just between you and me. We'll keep it private. But you are welcome to. But when it is paid off, it doesn't matter whether I paid for it or whether one of you paid for that mortgage. My sin, I owe to God. You can try paying it yourself. And if you do, that is an eternal separation from him. But here's the deal. Jesus has already paid the debt. You have to merely accept that forgiveness. You have to say, Jesus, okay, I'm in. <laughs> Take my sins away. And he has already paid for it on the cross. It is a done deal. I, I, it is the best deal. It is the best gift ever. The gospel is here. Look at where it says it in Haggai. He says, careful, give careful thoughts to your ways. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on the, the temple. Oh yeah, before the temple got started, before you'd returned to God, before you'd put your faith, it says there was judgment. When anyone had a heap of 20 measures, there was only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to see, draw 50 measures, there were only 20. The judgment was there. God had struck all the work of their hands with blight and mildew and hail. 
and they didn't return to God. Why? Because of that wickedness in the soul. They had resisted him. They had not returned. But now they had responded in faith to God's command. They had responded to faith to build the temple. They had responded in return to say, God is our provider. He is our king. And what does it say? Is there any seed left in the barn? Until now the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate, the olive tree have not borne fruit. But from this day on, I will bless you. It's the line in the stand. Yeah, you don't quite see it all here yet. You don't see the full reality here yet, but it is coming. There's not seed in the barn because it is in the ground. The harvest is about to come. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the fig tree has not produced its fruit yet, but it is coming. The pomegranate is about to yield its fruit. It is coming. Brothers and sisters, there's a fruit that is coming. That fruit for us, one is an eternity. There's a day when Jesus Christ will return with the trumpet, the loud command, the voice of the archangel, the Lord himself will descend, and we who are in Christ Jesus will be caught up together with him, and those who have died, those who are asleep in Christ, will be caught up together with him in the air. There's a day when the harvest will be there. Will there be a fruit? But my brothers and sisters, I want to say now, now is the day of salvation. One, perhaps some of you are ready to trust Jesus now. Some of you are ready to begin to experience that life that God has purchased for you now, that you need to say, I have not been the priest God has called me to be, but I need to be that now. God has called us because the line is in the sand. We don't have to worry. The sins have been paid for. We need to live in the freedom that he's called us to. Romans 8, therefore there is now no, no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He set us free. Now you can waller. You, you, you can cry. You can be sad and mourn, and that's okay. Sometimes godly sorrow is a very, very good thing in our lives. But we need to live in the freedom and forgiveness that is in Christ Jesus. In John 13, Jesus is about to go to the cross. And there's a scene with his disciples where the one who knew that he'd come from God and knew he was returning from, to God and the one who knew all things were placed under his hands, that is Jesus, Jesus, all things were in his hands. He got up and he took a towel and he washed his disciples' feet one by one, began to clean them. And Peter, one of Jesus' followers, stood up and said, uh-uh, no way, you are not washing my And Jesus said, well, if I don't wash you, you don't have any part of me. Well, well Peter's quick to say, well, uh, all right, then give me a bath. I mean, I, I, if you need to wash me, here we go. Let's my hands, my feet, wash me all over. And Jesus' words are very peculiar. He says, the one who's had a bath doesn't need another bath. He's already clean. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. You only need your feet washed. There's a symbol there that those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we are clean. But maybe we need our feet washed. Maybe this week has not been living for Jesus. Maybe this time has not been, maybe even this morning has not been living for Jesus. And we just need our feet washed. Today you're in one of those two categories. You either are not part of Jesus, and today you can be. Today, that gospel, that line in the sand, you can cross from death to life just by saying, yes, Jesus, I'm in. Forgive me of my sins. I'll follow you. But for the rest of us, maybe we just need to examine ourselves, ask him to wash our feet, ask him to say, help me live out this new life.
that's in you. Well, after that supper, during that supper, after the feet washing, Jesus, the scripture tells us that on that night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Today, I'm going to ask uh, David, if you'll come and maybe uh, Barry as well, make sure that uh, people have gotten a chance to receive the Lord's Supper. Phil is in the back bringing some around to us. Um, Today, we have an opportunity to remember and to think about the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus or you wanting to be a follower of Jesus, we invite you to take this with us and say, Jesus, I remember. Let me read that scripture to you again. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread in remembrance of Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing your body to be torn apart that you endured all the mocking, all of the shame, that you might bring salvation to your people. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Paul goes on to tell us that after the supper, in the same way, Jesus took the cup, and he said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus gave it all. Let's remember Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you gave your blood for our salvation, that you were the sacrifice to turn away the wrath of God, to fully satisfy the debt we could never pay, Thank you for paying the penalty for our sins. We give thanks to you. And we remember your sacrifice. Amen. Amen. The scripture tells us that whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Today, this worship service, we've seen how Haggai, even as God said, look, I'm going to bless you from this day forward, that that represents the new covenant, where God has said, look, from this day forward, the line is in the sand. We belong to him. He will send his blessing, and ultimately his blessing in Christ Jesus. Today, maybe you need to respond. The altar is open. Pastor Barry will be here. Song and Ann are going to lead us in a song. Um, but if you want to come and you want to say, okay, this is the first time I ever trusted Jesus, but I'm in. I, you come on down. I, I, we're here. We're here to receive you. Um, if you're saying, I, I, I just need someone to pray with me because, honestly, I haven't been living for Jesus, you come. If you're wanting to join this church, you come. You respond as God is calling you. Song, lead us in worship. As we sing, you may stand. Mm-hmm.